Lord, we pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. Speak for your servants are listening. I uh, love that little moment to kind of quieten our hearts and to uh, um, ease off the ramp up and, 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 and just to uh, ready ourselves. Um, we will be hearing the scripture in a moment, but uh, that'll come a little bit later in the message. Uh, Forbes tells us that uh, by February, 80% of people give up their New Year's resolution. Hands up if you're one of those 80%, if you're brave enough to admit, to confess. Oh, we, we are absolutely bucking the trend here. Like we have one person who's given up on their New Year's resolution. So either you didn't make a New Year's resolution or you're lying in church, which is like extra, extra, extra bad. No, I'm just kidding. However, if you are one of those who are still going... Uh, with your resolution come Tuesday the 1st of February I want to give yourself I want you to give yourself a massive pat on your back well done you if you're still going with your resolution or if like me you just quit on making them because you know it's not going to go very well here are some tweets about failed New Year's resolutions from this year The first tweet says this, less than a day into the new year, already broke my resolution to not say tap whenever I tap my debit card to pay for something. Okay, that's an odd one. Here's another one. My new year's resolution was to not complain as much and yet I broke that so quick. Another one was just broke my resolution to not eat a whole pizza after saying it's not that great, two bites in. Okay, I actually did that this week. We had a pizza, me and Jeff and Stacy, and it was not that great two bites in, but I carried on and polished off more than my fair share of that pizza. Uh, but this wasn't, this wasn't me. I don't tweet, but uh, it really resonates. I, if anything resonates with me at church today, it's this tweet. So here's another one. Uh, my... 2023 resolution is to not drop my phone on my face when checking it in bed in the morning already broke it i'm not maybe you should have a resolution to not have your phone next to your bed rather than not dropping it on your face uh that's very narrow here's another one uh it's 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 simple i wanted to stop eating sugar but i kept eating sugar and here's another one it's it's a little bit sadder uh, I vowed to quit smoking after being diagnosed with breast cancer. I kept the resolution for about seven months. It was too hard to cope with the stresses of the cancer treatment with giving up something that was a stress reliever. That's, that's sad, but it's also very relatable. And then maybe here is the, uh, moving back to levity somewhat, here is the shortest New Year's resolution ever I vowed to not consume sweets for a month or so. Right after midnight on New Year's, someone offered me a jelly bean, and I honestly forgot about my resolution. The end. So that one lasted for maybe seconds until it was broken. In our series, New Year, Same Promises, we're looking at a passage this morning that can sort of feel like a New Year's resolution and not one of the easy ones. It feels like one of the impossible ones, like running a marathon, right? Or not getting riled up by internet trolls, right? These resolutions are very hard to keep, and, and our passage feels like it's one of these. Uh, we know that this passage is good stuff. We know that if we kept this 
resolution or what seems to be a resolution, this world would be in a much better place. And maybe even every now and again, we try to put it into practice, but it's impossible. It is absolutely destined to fail this passage that feels like a New Year's resolution. And I'm, I'm referring to the blessed bees in Matthew chapter 5, also known as the Beatitudes. They, they feel like a to-do list that's more suited to monks in a desert. They work well if there are no human beings around to ruin it for you. That's kind of how the Beatitudes work. No one's around, I can keep them. Humans are around, I can't keep them. But for regular you and me who aren't monks in a desert or nuns, um, the best that we can hope for is to take the Beatitudes down from the shelf every once in a while, look at them, maybe say, wouldn't that be a lovely world to live in, and then put them back on the shelf and carry on with life. But this morning, what I want to do is to take the Beatitudes down off the shelf, and instead of seeing them as an impossible list of things for us to do, I want to view them as a love letter from a saviour who loves us even when we're in the pit that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So rather than a burden that weighs us down, rather than a resolution that we can never keep, I want us to see these instead as, as the burden being lifted from us. And so the main point that I want us to glean from this morning in, in Matthew chapter 5 is this, when you realise you are not enough, God is. Let's say that all together. When you realise that you are not enough, God is. Now let's listen to the Beatitudes read by Jeff. Our reading today is Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah, so thanks to Jeff for reading the scripture, which he did a great job. Let's give him a, a round of applause. And uh, also, uh, thank you. He, he spent a, many, many hours this week painting and, well, priming and mudding and priming and painting uh, our big wall outside of the sanctuary, ready for us to put up uh, some new signage out there. So thank you again to Jeff for all that hard work. Let's, let's give him a, a, a thank you for that as well. And thanks for sharing that miserable pizza with me as well. That was uh, quite the sacrifice. <laughs> so, 
starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we have this phrase in our world today called body positivity, which is the celebration and the normalization of normal looking people. People like me and maybe you if you're normal looking people. And uh, it's, the posit- it's the body positivity movement that has led to an increase uh, of representation in the, modeling age- in, in the modeling industry of people who are larger or models who have vitiligo or albino models or models with down syndrome or models with unibrows right this is all showing up in the modeling industry and largely it's because of body positivity so uh, in many ways it's a good thing though i'm not sure whether models with a dad bod are a thing yet but maybe that's the next evolution in body positivity Uh, we will see Uh, if so then that's how i'll be earning my money but we're not there yet Yeah, the Cambridge Dictionary uh, online says that body positivity is the fact of feeling good about your body and the way that it looks. Body positivity is rooted in loving your body and gaining self-confidence. And I think this is a good thing insofar as it goes. But our passage introduces us to something um, which is better and more liberating than body positivity, and that is spiritual poverty, spirit poverty. Spirit poverty, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, body positivity, as its name suggests, focuses on the externals, and so it cannot address the deeper issues in the life of the human, the soul issues, the spirit issues. So, in a sense, what body positivity says is that as a teen uh, or a child or a woman or a man, in a roundabout way, that you are defined by your looks, and if people don't like how you look, well, forget them. That's kind of the message. And so while I believe that body positivity tries its best, um, it isn't strong enough for philosophy to build a foundation on. It's not a strong enough worldview to build a life on. But Jesus, after climbing a mountain, just like Moses version 2.0, he begins his manifesto by saying, not blessed are the positive in, in body, but he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And here's why this differentiation is important, because it's as you realize your own spirit poverty, as you learn that you are not enough, then you are encouraged to drill down even deeper, way below what you can feel yourself, and to ask, okay, what's underneath me? What is underneath me? What is there underneath, you know, the deepest I'm able to go? And if you keep on drilling, then there's a chance that you will encounter the bedrock of God himself. And then as you start to build a foundation on God, you open yourself up to what he thinks about you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So poverty of spirit sends you beyond yourself or sends you below yourself deep into God himself and into the kingdom of heaven. That then becomes yours. The message words it like this, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Or as our main idea says, when you realize that you are not enough, God is the blessed life. The happy life starts with being poor in spirit, with knowing that you are not enough. That's where it starts. 
Now, I've split the middle six Beatitudes into two categories. The, the first one is here, longing for something. That's verses four to six. And then verses seven through nine is living for something. And uh, the longing Beatitudes, which is where we're starting, they seem to me to be less about action than an attitude, a, a mindset, a way of looking at life. It's an, it's an attitude of longing. So you've got mourning, you've got humility, you've got hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then the next three seem to be more about practical living. You've got showing mercy, you've got purity of heart, and you've got make, making peace. So, and in a sense then, the second three, mercy, purity, and peacemaking, seem to be the living out of the longing of the first three, the mourning, the humility, and the hunger and thirst. Now, of course, this isn't an exact science, and I don't want to present these, these categories as if they're gospel truth, but it might help you organize the Beatitudes in your own mind, sort of create like a library system for the Beatitudes. So let's start with the first three, uh, the, longing, the longing Beatitudes, the ones that are longing for something. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, as we look at these verses, we see that there are people uh, here, that, or, or that these are people who are longing for something that is either not there, mourning, or, or, yeah, who are either longing for something that is no longer there, so they're mourning something, or they're longing for something that is not yet there, they're hungering and thirsting for something. And God says that if you're longing for something, if you're feeling the lack of something, if you have this innate sense that everything is not as it should be, that there's something missing, if you're fully aware that everything is not all right with the world, then you are starting on the road towards being blessed. God pronounces you blessed. God says you are happy, you are fortunate. Okay, so how do mourning, being humble and hungering and thirsting, how do these connect with being happy or fortunate or blessed? Well, as a possible answer, I want to uh, introduce you to Reverend Dr. Edwin Van Driel, and he says this, the Beatitudes are not entrance requirements for the kingdom, but eschatological blessings. Although the lat latter, later sections of the Sermon on the Mount are full of ethical imperatives, the Beatitudes are in the indicative mode, not in the imperative. Everyone understand that? Okay, so what does he mean? Well, Van Driel goes on to explain a little bit more. And he, 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 he breaks it down and says it in easy English. He says, Jesus is not asking the crowd to become poor in spirit or mourners or persecuted for righteousness sake. Instead, he offers consolation to those who find themselves poor and in mourning and persecuted. So he's not asking you to be these things. Instead, he's saying, if you are these things, I'm going to bless you, which is great because no one in their right mind wants to be in a state of mourning or humiliated or humbled or continually hungering and thirsting. No one wants to be in that place. But if you do find yourself there, God says, I'm closer than you know. I'm right here. If you're mourning, 
you will be comforted. If you're humbled, you will inherit the earth. And if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness and justice, then you will be filled. This is God's promise to you. And if this is true, then the blessing is not in the morning or being humbled or hungering, because that sounds like masochism. But the blessing is found in what comes next. It's in being comforted. It's in inheriting the earth. And it's in being filled. This is the blessing. This is the beatitude. And I think this just shows us a picture of Jesus Christ that is super compelling. Um, it's so, so wonderfully you know, compassionate as he meets us in the places where we are. So, I, you know, I'm actually wondering whether we should make the Beatitudes part of our evangelism rather than the Romans road. Maybe we should use this because, yes, it is good for people to know that they are sinners and that Jesus is their savior. That's important for them to know. But it's also important that, you know, for folks to know that if they're longing for something, that Jesus is the one who will meet that longing. In these few verses, the word blessed are used eight times. And it's worth looking into what Jesus means when he says blessed. Well, he's saying happy. He's saying fortunate. He's saying congratulations. He's saying happy, 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 happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That's what Jesus is saying all the way through this. Let's uh, sing this song. We need to sing a song every week. And I see that Lily would love to sing this song. So if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, and you really want to show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. There you go. Well done. So happy, happy, happy. All the way through. If you're hungering and thirsting, you are a lucky person. You're blessed, you're fortunate. Congratulations, you are to be envied. Now, of course, this understanding blessed as the word happy could lead to a severe case of what's known as cognitive dissonance. I'm going through hard times and Jesus tells me to be happy, right? It could cause an emotional breakdown. And of course, Jesus doesn't want us to have an emotional breakdown, right? That's not what's going on here. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus is reassuring the struggling believer that no matter what circumstance they are going through, this circumstance does not have the final say, that something else is coming, that comfort is coming, that inheritance is coming, that being fulfilled and satisfied is coming and of course he's talking about heaven he's talking about the life after this life but he's but he's also talking about now jesus is talking about now god's kingdom in verse 3 and 10 is not just about the there and then but it's also about the here and now this space this place when you leave and you go home that is the kingdom of heaven if you serve him and this leads us to the next three beatitudes the ones that picture the believer not longing for something, but now living for something. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be showed mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, in my imagination, I'm imagining someone who is mourning, someone who's humble, someone who's uh, in the quiet of their room when there's no one around that they can be their true selves, that they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who's longing for Jesus. And then I can see this longing translating 
into living for something. The longing for something translates into living for something. Mercy and purity and peace. Like what happens with longing really is it either turns inward and it turns into bitterness and into maybe into maybe into depression. That's what happens if we turn our longing inwards. But if we turn it outwards, if we turn it towards Christ, then it turns into mercy, it turns into purity, and it turns into peace. And so my question for you this morning is, what are you, looking, or what are you longing for? And will you allow Jesus to take that longing and to turn it into living for him? What would our community look like? What would your home look like if mercy was practiced on a regular break? Um, practice on a regular basis if you had the chance for revenge and instead you choose mercy and as a result what the bible says is you receive mercy what would your home look like if you were pure in heart if you were just about one thing and when someone's life is all about god and his kingdom no wonder they see him if they're looking for him if they're pure in heart then they will see him if you're looking for God, you will see him. And finally, what would your house, what would your community, what would your social media look like if you were a peacemaker, if you were a shaper of shalom in this world, if you were a constructor of concord, if you were a maker of peace? You know, you weren't leaving it up to other people, but you were making peace, creating peace. And here's how I could see us living out the Beatitudes. As we recognize that we're all longing for something, that we mourn, we're humbled, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we recognize everything's not okay with the world, then through faith, Christ takes our longing for something and he turns it into something to live for or something to long for. So, so we're longing for something, then he turns it into something to long for, which is his comfort, inheriting the earth, and being filled both in the future but also now. And as our longing is met through God's comfort, through his inheritance and his infilling, we are then encouraged to live for something which is God's kingdom. We grow in mercy, we grow in heart purity, we grow in peacemaking. And then as we live for something, God then blesses us with something to live for. We receive his mercy, we will see him, and we will be called sons and daughters of God. Now, I don't know about you, but as I see this life potentially mapped out in my own life and in, in our own community and in your life, I start to get excited as what that might look like as we see it working out. Now, when we look at the Beatitudes as a mass, as a chunk, uh, I think at best they look intimidating and at worst they look like the dream of a delusional first century rabbi. And Edwin Van Drier, he agrees with me. He says this, whenever we hear the Beatitudes, we're struck with their poetic beauty and at the same time overwhelmed by their perceived impracticality for the world in which we live. We admire the instruction, but we fear the implications of putting the words into actual practice, right? That's how I feel when I see them. But instead of brushing them aside... 
Perhaps we could view them as an opportunity to invite Jesus into our longing for something and then to receive his gift of something to long for and then that something to long for becomes living for something, uh, mercy, purity and peace, which finally becomes something to live for. Isn't that what everyone wants is to have something to live for, the, which is the promise of mercy, seeing God and being declared a child of God. So I'm starting to see maybe that we could use the Beatitudes as a blueprint for our own personal sanctification. And I love that the launch pad for us to start on this process of sanctification is not having it all together. But the first step is our spiritual poverty. Which means that in order to start on this, all we need to do is to come to Jesus and say, I've got nothing. All I've got is my mourning, my lowly state, and my hunger. Jesus, I bring to you my mourning, my, my grief, my sadness, and I bring to you my lowly state, my humility, my humiliation, and I bring to you my hunger and my thirst. And Jesus says, that there is the perfect soil to start the garden that I want to grow. So my question to you is this, are you willing to give him your longing as an act of surrender, as an act of worship, as an act of sacrifice? Because this is how the kingdom of heaven comes. This is how it starts to infiltrate, to spread through our lives and then in our society by allowing the Holy Spirit to grow a garden of Eden, a garden of beatitudes from the soil of our brokenness. So like I said, far from it being an unrealistic list of idealisms, the Beatitudes are a a love letter from Jesus Christ telling you that whatever you bring, he can work with it. He can start with that. Now, you may have noticed that I've left out two of the Beatitudes. The first one, which is blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the eighth one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I've done this intentionally because I think that these two kind of act as the bookends for the other Beatitudes, like I said at the beginning. And I think this because both of the promises of these Beatitudes are identical, word for word, exactly the same, which is for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so I think it's reasonable to imagine that the six middle beatitudes are how the kingdom comes, but it starts with being poor in spirit for the kingdom of, of heaven is theirs, right? That's how it starts. I've already explained that. But when, you're, when you are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Uh, which, so that when you reach out to Jesus in the poverty of your spirit, a little corner of God's coming kingdom starts to be established around you at that moment. And so, friends, God's kingdom isn't for the accomplished or the successful or the good-looking or the intelligent or even, yeah, the body positive. God's kingdom is not for those. God's kingdom starts with the poor in spirit, with those who have no choice but to go beyond themselves and to drill down even deeper into God himself. It's the poor in spirit who then become the answer to the prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the poor in spirit, those who are longing for something, who are gifted with something to long for, which then becomes living for something, which then becomes something to live for. And this ultimately leads to the glory of God's coming kingdom. 
But first we have to grapple with the logical conclusion of a life that's lived with soul poverty. And that is persecution. If you're experiencing soul poverty, then ultimately it will lead you to persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You see, righteousness is the desire for justice, for everything to be made right, for others to come to Christ to trade in their soul poverty for something to live for. But our world, it doesn't understand this. The world does not like to see people filled with anything other than what the world has to offer. And so the principalities and the powers are threatened incredibly by a soul poor follower of Christ, which means that a human being who is honest about their soul poverty and who reaches out to Christ is actually the biggest danger to Satan and his armies. Because it's the soul poor individual who's willing to give up everything for the king who gave them everything. And verse 6 tells us that the person who's hungering and thirsting for righteousness will be filled. And Satan knows, he knows this, that it's very hard to tempt a full person or to attempt to tempt a full person with a delicious meal of sin. If you're full with the Holy Spirit, if you're full with the kingdom, and Satan comes to you and says, how about you try this tasty little morsel? You'll say, no, thank you very much. I'm full. I don't need that. And when the person of God says to a hungry and a desperate world, I no longer need what you're offering because in Christ I am blessed. The kingdom of heaven is mine. I will be comforted. I will inherit the earth. I will be filled. I will be shown mercy. I will see God. I will be called a son or daughter of God. What happens when the world sees this is they bring on the persecution. And the person of God says, that's okay. You can bring it on. You, you can bring on your insults. You can bring on the way that you falsely say all kinds of evil against me. You can bring it on me because in case you missed it the first time around, the kingdom of heaven is mine and it started being mine when I came to Christ in the poverty of my soul. And so in that first moment of reaching out to Jesus, his promise is that the kingdom of heaven is yours. And in that moment when you lay down your life, For Jesus, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. And so this morning, as with every Sunday, I have no idea where most of you find yourselves today. But from that first moment of soul poverty, even to the moment of willing to give it all for the Savior who gave it all for you, I can tell you that you are blessed, that you are fortunate, that you are honored, that you are on the spectrum, that you're on the spectrum of God's blessing. Because when you realize that you're not enough, God then becomes enough. And so as the worship team comes up, let me ask you a couple of questions. Where are you on this continuum of God's blessing? And will you trust Jesus to move you from the level where you are up to the next level? Because if you're currently longing for something, you're in mourning, you're humbled, you're hungry and thirsty, then trust Jesus to give you something to long for. His comfort, your inheritance in him, and his infilling. And if you already have something to long for, then trust Jesus to help you get or help you live for something through a life of mercy and purity and peacemaking. And if you're already living for something, allow Jesus to step it up a notch in your life by giving you something to live for receiving his mercy, seeing God himself and being called a son or daughter of God 
And if you have something to live for, praise God. May he then grant you the blessing of being ready to actually die for him. But wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, on this continuum, you are blessed. Because from start to finish, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that if we're poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is ours. And that when, we, when we're persecuted for righteousness sake, that the kingdom of heaven is ours. And everything in between those two truths is sanctification, is growth, is allowing you to come in in greater and greater strength and power and authority into our lives as we hand things over to you and say, Lord, I no longer want to live for myself. Here, why don't you move into this room? Here, why don't you move into this room? Here, why don't you move into this room? Here's a room that I've kept long locked from you. Um, why don't you move into this room as well? Lord, it generally doesn't happen all at once. It happens as we keep listening to the Spirit, as we recognize that our poverty invites us into the kingdom, starts us on a journey. And so, Lord God, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters who are here in person, who are watching online later, Lord, that you would show them where they are on the continuum of God's blessing. And that rather than seeing this as an impossible list that they have to achieve, instead they would see it as an invitation to go beyond themselves and into the bedrock of you. I ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.